Great. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Good to see you all. My name's Andy Wright. I'm one of the leaders here in the Hub Church, and it's, thank you, Margie, my pleasure just to share a few words on this Easter Sunday. So I've got a son called James. He's up there at the top. Hello, James. James is now 10, but when James was really young, probably only about one or two, and hadn't been speaking for very long, one day we were driving in our car, and he suddenly exclaimed, he said, my pumpkin. We were like, my pump, what do you mean my pumpkin? And so Tracy and I were a bit like, not quite sure what that means, so we kind of ignored it and carried on. Then a few days later, once again, James suddenly said, my pumpkin. And so we were like, well, he's obviously seeing something, but we've got no idea what he is seeing. There's no pumpkins around. Why is he saying my pumpkin? And so again, we kind of forgot about it. And sometimes when he was in the house looking out the window, he'd say, my pumpkin, and point at something. But we had no idea what it was. And this carried on for a little while. And then one day out in the car, he said, my pumpkin, and he pointed out, and we looked, and the only thing we could see was a crane. One of those large cranes you'd have on a building site. And we thought, well, that can't, my pumpkin, crane, well, <laughs> that, that can't be right. So we kind of thought, no, that's, that's wrong. And then another time, he said, my pumpkin. And we, we could see a crane. And so we started to wonder whether or not my pumpkin actually meant a crane for some strange reason. And then one day out in the car, Tracy and I saw a crane, but James hadn't seen it. So this was our opportunity. And one of us pointed and said, James, what's that? And he said, my pumpkin. <laughs> so then we knew that my pumpkin was, of course, a crane. I'll come back to that story in a little while. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, the Bible's in two parts. The Old Testament's the first part. In the second book of the Old Testament, a book called Exodus, we read about how God had made a people for himself. And these people were called the Israelites. But the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. The king Pharaoh had enslaved God's people and wouldn't let them go, but God wanted his people to be released from slavery in Egypt. And so God brought a series of ten plagues upon the Egyptians. And after each one, Pharaoh hardened his heart and wouldn't let God's people go. And now the last of these plagues, the tenth plague, was actually a plague of death. And this death sweeped across the nation of Egypt. And the firstborn person, an animal in each home, would be killed. But God's people, of course, were enslaved in Egypt at that time. And so God's people somehow needed to be protected. And so God said to his people to kill a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put that blood on the doorpost of their houses. And then as this this plague of death would sweep across, then it would literally pass over any houses where the blood of the lamb was daubed across the doorpost of the home. It's why that festival is called Passover. Death passed over the houses of God's people. Now that sounds really heavy, doesn't it? This plague of death. If we're honest, it sounds maybe a little bit horrible. But we're dealing with something weighty here because, you see, 
our sin, our wrongdoing, the Bible calls the things we do wrong when we turn our back on God and try and live our own way, the Bible calls that sin. And our sin separates us from God. Because God is holy, he's pure, he's perfect, he's never done anything wrong. And we can't be in God's presence if we're unholy because of our sin. And throughout the Old Testament, we read of God's people trying to keep a long list of laws in order to somehow try and be perfect and never do anything wrong. But you see, it's impossible to keep that whole list of laws. No one has ever been able to do it. No one ever will be able to do it. And so Jesus came, God himself, born as a human. He came down to earth to save everyone and anyone who would put their trust in him. And there was a man called John, one of Jesus' earliest followers. And when he saw Jesus coming towards him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. Because you see, like in that story of the plague of death, the lamb was killed and the blood of the lamb was on the doorposts. And John said this about Jesus, the lamb of God, because it was Jesus' blood that was shed upon the cross. And if we apply the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, if we paint it on the doorpost of our lives, so to speak, apply it to our lives, then ultimately death will also pass over us because Jesus grants us eternal life if we place our trust in him. God's people in Exodus were enslaved to the Egyptians and the Bible talks about us being a slave to sin before we put our trust in Jesus. But just like God wanted to free his people from being enslaved in Egypt, God wants to free us from being enslaved to sin. And we do that by believing in him and choosing to follow him, making him the Lord of our lives. Jesus died upon a Roman wooden cross. And he did it for everyone who would ever live. And that includes you and it includes me. He did it through love. He did it because he wanted us back in relationship with him. He did it because we're unable to do it for ourselves. He did it to take upon his shoulders all the sin of the world. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve separation from God. Ultimately, we all deserve death. But Jesus died that death for us in our place. Amen? And then he rose again on the third day. We've been singing all about it this afternoon. He rose again. Listen to these words in the Bible, in the New Testament this time, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 12. It says this, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, 
but he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Amen. Jesus' followers held this message of the resurrection. They carried it with them. They were brutally beaten, and many of them were killed for this message, but they never withdrew their testimony about Jesus, having come back to life after his crucifixion. That gives me great confidence that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. Now, in the early 70s, there was a scandal in the United States. It was called the Watergate Scandal. It was a major political scandal involving the administration of Richard Nixon, the president at the time, and it led to his resignation. And then a man called Charles Colson said this. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. I love that quote. But more than just Jesus' closest followers, Jesus actually appeared to over 500 people after he had risen from the grave. There's a man called Lee Strobel. Many of you would have heard of him. He's a journalist, and he was an atheist. He didn't believe in God at all. But his wife became a Christian, and he was horrified by this, and he wanted to go out, and he wanted to prove that Christianity was false so that he could prove his wife wrong and tell her what a stupid thing it was that she'd become a Christian. And he was advised, first of all, to go for the resurrection because that's, everything hinges on the resurrection. If the resurrection is false, then Christianity has nothing to stand on. So he went after the resurrection and he went to try and disprove it and he ended up becoming a Christian <laughs> because he found overwhelming evidence for the resurrection. And he went, in part of his, his research, he went to a psychologist friend of his because he was convinced that if loads of people had seen Jesus having risen from the grave, then it must have been some sort of hallucination. It must have been something that was happening like that. So he went to his psychologist friend and asked him, and then Lee Strobel writes this. He said, I went to a psychologist friend and said, if 500 people claimed to see Jesus after he died... It was just a hallucination. He said, as in his psychologist friend said, hallucinations 
are an individual event. If 500 people have seen the same hallucination, then that's a bigger miracle than resurrection. <laughs> I love that. And you know what? I know that many people in this room already believe in the resurrection. And if you're not one of them, and I'm not trying to convince you by some sort of argument from the front at a church meeting, but it is really important. In fact, as I've said, it's the centerpiece of the Christian faith. As we read, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then there is no resurrection at all. And we're all doomed. There's nothing beyond the grave. We're just here for as many years as we have, and then everything just somehow ends for us. Or even worse, we're condemned to eternity, separated from God because of our sins. But I thank God that Jesus did rise from the grave. That his resurrection means that I will never die and will live forever with him. All because of Jesus dying on the cross to take the consequences of my sins away and rising from the grave to make it possible for me to rise to new life, even though I might die in an earthly sense. I will rise to new life in him and live eternally with him. Let me encourage you today, if you're not sure, bless you, Nancy, if you're not sure about the crucifixion and the resurrection, let me encourage you today to open your mind to the possibility that it may be true. Because when you see it, you see it. And that's my testimony. When God somehow reveals that to you, then you understand, actually, it's true, and I can see it. And once you can see it, there's no going back. When James, in the car and in the house, was saying, my pumpkin, we had no idea what he's talking about. And maybe for some of you, when someone talks about the crucifixion or the resurrection, it just makes no sense to you. You don't know what they're talking about. You've got no idea. But then maybe over time, you kind of think, Actually, I kind of see this little bit. Just like we wondered about having seen the crane and we started to kind of tie it up a little bit. Maybe my pumpkin means the crane. And maybe God is starting to do a work in your life. Where when you hear about the crucifixion and the resurrection, you're starting to see it. You're starting to understand a little bit more about it. Maybe even when we're singing some of the great songs that we're singing today. You're starting to understand a little bit more about it. And then one day, you see it. One day you see it. You understand that my pumpkin means the crane. <laughs> you understand that the crucifixion and the resurrection means Jesus loves you and he wants to break into your life and be the Lord of your life. So do you believe in the crucifixion and the resurrection. I know many of you here would say yes. Today, we celebrate these events. This weekend, we celebrate the events and we thank God for the crucifixion and the resurrection. Let me ask you, if you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, 
then maybe this Easter weekend would be a great time to do it. Maybe today, on the day that we celebrate the resurrection, would be a great time to do it. I'm going to say a prayer. And I'm just going to encourage you, if today, for the first time, you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've seen, if you've had that revelation, if you feel like, I get that now, I understand that the crucifixion, the cross, and the resurrection means Jesus loves me and wants to be the Lord of my life. Then I'm going to encourage you to pray this prayer after me. But also, if you're a Christian already, if you've already put your faith in Jesus, even if you've been a Christian for years and years, decades and decades, let me encourage you to pray this prayer as well. Because I really believe that it's good every day, or as often as we can, just to recommit our lives to God. And say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. It reminds us that he is. And he declares how good he is and all that he's done for us. And gives him worship and praise for that. So, if you want to respond today for the first time, or if it's, you've done this for numerous times before, then follow me. Say it out loud if you want. Say it in your head if you'd like. But pray this prayer after me if you would. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you came down to earth born as a human. That you died on the cross for me and came back to life a few days later. I believe you are alive today and want to break into my life. And so I welcome you into my life. Please come in and make your home in me. I commit to following you every day from now on. Please forgive me and make me new. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you that if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, please don't leave here without speaking to someone, telling someone that you've prayed that prayer for the first time. If you came with someone who's already a Christian, tell them. If you came on your own, come and see Margie, myself, or anyone else who's been at the front today. We'd love to just pray with you and chat with you and help you in taking the next steps on your journey following Jesus. But we're going to sing again before we finish our service today. Haven't the band just been great? And Andy at the back on the PA and Graham on the words. Just really grateful, guys, as always, for all that you do. But we're just, yeah, thank you. But we're going to worship before we finish. And let me just say as well, if you're online, if you're watching online today, if you prayed that prayer, please do put something in the comments or send us an email. We can be... You can find us on connect at hubcommunitychurch.org and we'd love just to help you as well take your first steps in following Jesus. But let's worship before we finish. So guys, would you lead us? I think we're singing in Christ alone, are we? Great song. So thank you. God bless.